Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Okay, if you have your Bibles, please turn into Matthew 5. Um, I think I changed the title. I did. If you've got your worship guide, there's a place to take notes. I did change the title slightly. Um, so there's a lot, boy, a couple verses. There's a lot to say here. Uh, if you were in the, the class at 10 o'clock, we had a wonderful discussion. And uh, I don't know that, I don't think this will be better than that. That was really a good discussion. So if you need, if you want notes, you can always email the office uh, to get some notes. But we got a lot of territory to cover. Um, so some of your Bibles, you know, they get these little subheadings. Okay, those are not in the text. They're in addition. So I think ours might say something about divorce, might say something about oaths. Notice I used a little bit different language here. I said, how does the kingdom of heaven move into marital division and truth-telling? I, I use those words in, intentionally um, for reason. So, and we talked about this in the 10 o'clock class. Here's a mistake people meet in, make in reading Scripture. I read these verses, I'm trying to understand these verses, and that's all I see, is this. We understand this in light of the whole. It's like a blade of grass and a big yard. It's like the forest and the trees, right? We under, we under, so that's what we're going to, in my introduction today, let's, let's go out here. Let's go out here and see, because these verses do make sense, but once again, so this is the one thing that's interesting in preaching. You preach through a book, we're pausing every time. We just took this part of the conversation. But three chapters of Matthew is one sermon of Jesus. So this all hangs together. And so this is just a Bible reading principle. Think of the whole, think of the context, what's going on here to understand this. Does that make sense? It's a really important thing to develop, habit to develop, that, that people don't do in Bible reading. It's also how people misapply things or they, they, they put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Does that make sense? So just, that's what we want to do. And we're going to do that today. So once again, go big picture Matthew. And I, I'm sorry, this is review, but it helps me think through things. So remember early on when Matthew's talking about Jesus preaching, he's saying Jesus' first words. It's a summary. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's one of the things we're thinking about. What's Jesus doing? He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And it's here, it's at hand. Where Jesus goes, his kingdom goes. That is still true today, by the way. Where he goes, Justin and Kai are in Cuba. Jesus is with them. Where they go, the kingdom of heaven goes. Where you go, if you're a child of God, the kingdom of heaven goes. So there's that part about how we embody it but I want us to think this way also. There's a part that is that which changes within us. So Jesus is addressing this hypocrisy. I didn't bring it. Can you give me your coffee mug? I forgot to, that's later on. I forgot to bring. Oh, that is full. I won't stick, I'll try not to stick my finger in it. I said try. Um, but he's addressing something here all the time. Well, I'll just do it now so I don't mess up. He's talking about true righteousness. And the Pharisees, what they're always interested in is the outside of the cup, appearance. And Jesus says, I won't put my finger, I will tell myself, don't put my finger. He's talking about 
the inside. All true change happens from inside. It's not simply behavior. It's not simply what I do. What, does what I do matter? Does obedience matter? Absolutely it does. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. That's where hypocrisy comes from all the time. And so part of this, he is talking about the kingdom of heaven. He is talking about how it goes through us in missions, different places, but he's really talking about how this moves through us in our lives and in our hearts. So again, as we come to this sermon, we, we talk, the, the first part of this, they call it the Beatitudes or the Blessings. And I think I said this a while ago. I'm like, I'm like, how does that fit with this whole sermon? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful so they should receive mercy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. All those things are things that happen within. This is, kind of, we said, kind of the big theme of this whole book is follow the promised king into his kingdom. None of us are this. Only Jesus is this. Remember, he says, I don't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And that word fulfill, Matthew's been using it again. Again and again and again. Jesus is the very fulfillment of all the Old Testament, the prophecy, the law. When he says later on in this chapter, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. All right, who's doing that one? Who's got that down? In all of human history, who's done that? One person. One person, right here. Who died on the cross for us. It's Jesus. But it's a call to us. I didn't come to abolish, I came to fulfill it. Unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees. You never, how does our righteousness exceed theirs? Because we're not dealing with the outside of the cup. It's the inside. Do not go at, did I attain perfection? We didn't do that. All that will do is turn us into hypocrites. Us trying to say like, oh yeah, I'm like, or looking at outside. Oh, I can't believe they did this, or I can't believe. That's not where he's going. He's going inside. That's why Jesus addressed things like, he, yeah, you heard it said that, you know, don't murder somebody. I'm telling you, if you, you're angry at somebody in your heart, you murdered them. Oh, you think, you, you know, you don't commit adultery. You didn't commit adultery. You, you've done it in your heart with lust. He's going right inside. How about all of us just saying guilty as charged? I need this change, Jesus. I need this change. This is where the kingdom goes. So I'm saying this introduction, and I, I'm quoting all over the place what he's saying, because that's the deal. And here's what we do as human beings. We read that scripture and go like, man, I hope they're listening. We're not thinking here. All this is aimed right here. So here's what I want you to think. So, uh, so, they, so this, is what, this is what I believe. <clears throat> you got the, the Beatitudes, these blessings over here. I think they're the doorway, the gateway to understanding the sermon. And what he's done now is he's going through about six areas of life. It's not exhaustive. They're just six examples of how this change, this kingdom comes over here. So a couple weeks ago we did anger, lust, we'll do divorce, follow, well, I'll get there later. Uh, we'll do truth-telling. Then it comes to retaliation and loving your enemies. But all of these are things that need to happen right, in, right inside of us. Um, so here's how I want you to think. I'm, I know I'm preoccupied with this, but I'm going to give you like a little visual to try to think through this. I am very preoccupied with the Ukrainian war. Okay? Anybody follow the, the war map? Does anybody do this or am I the only one? Okay. I, I, at least once a week I'm looking at it where the battles are, 
territory taken, where it is. That's the picture I want you to have on this. The reason why that is, because you know, a year ago, I'm, I'm there in Kiev with, with uh, a Russian pastor, a bunch of Ukrainian pastors, a bunch of Central Asian pastors, and uh, doing the training that we do. It is unbelievable. But I mean, Irpin is where we were, and they just got totally annihilated by the Russians. So I, I get conversations with these guys right now, what they're doing. And, and then uh, a couple of weeks after that, I'm in Warsaw with Polish pastors who got, they're doing all this humanitarian work going back and forth. Three weeks ago, I'm in Central Asia with a bunch of brothers. I'll be there in two more weeks. Um, and I'm getting an encrypted app from a dear Russian brother who's saying this, hey, can you connect me with this guy over here? We're trying to get my 18-year-old son out of here. And we've been praying about it, but he's thinking like, we need to get our son out of here for two years. And he's like, this is our government. This is what they're doing. The guys are putting in the war. It's all these ethnic pockets. You know, if you followed this, I mean, that's why there's uprisings. It's all the ethnic pockets. Evangelicals, he doesn't like us either. It's going to be my 18-year-old son. That's what I'm just saying. That's all. So I got this war map in my mind. I follow. I know I'm preoccupied with it, but I'm praying for people that we know there. Praying for this kingdom to go through them. When I go in a couple weeks, it's bring encouragement. The work we're doing over in Central Asia, if it was ever important, I feel like time's 10. So thank you for sending me. It's you. This has got to happen. And Jesus is doing it all over the place. The hunger is heightened. It's actually a disadvantage for us in this, this country because we have so much. Okay? Think a war map. Territory taken. See your life like that. So when Jesus walks in these areas, anger, lust, so I'm going to say marital, serious marital conflict, truth-telling, this person sinned against me, retaliation or not, loving, loving this adversary. When you think about that, that's territory. That's on the war map. And here's what Jesus is saying to his people. I want to take this territory. Let me take it in your life. And that's what he's calling us to. Don't think outward change. Think, Lord Jesus, you come and do this in me. I can't do it. I need you. So that's the image I want you to have in your mind as we walk through this text. All right, did I say what I needed to? Okay. Thatcher, you got the mic? Come on up here. Yep. So Thatcher's going to read the text in just a moment. You going to use one of these Bibles? Oh, you can use mine right here. It's really big font. Don't be scared. And just one second, you're going to read that one? Can you see it? I'll turn it on. So here's the phrase I want you to get. Um, Joe gave this as kind of a summary, I feel like, of this thing. It says, you cannot follow Jesus into his kingdom until you follow him with all your heart. I thought that was a pretty good summary of what's going on in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. It might be just saying, Lord, we, our posture wants to be, Lord, you come and do this inside me. Okay? So Thatcher's going to read it. Um, we just started, would you stand with me? It's in honor of God's word being read. So we're distinguishing this is God's word. I'm going to preach and expound on it, but this is it. Thank you, Thatcher. Try to do it slow. Oh, okay, okay. You're fast. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, 
makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Thank you. Let's pray as we stand. Jesus, we've just heard your word read. Would you bring it now into our hearts and help us to apply it as you intend? In your name we pray. Amen. So you guys probably don't know this. Uh, one of the people in this congregation who asked me questions about the sermon the most is Thatcher. And uh, the other thing he'll do is we'll talk about some scripture that he's memorizing or whatever. I mean, he's just a sweet-spirited guy. I love, love all that. So we've got a pattern here in this uh, particular section in Matthew. Um, and we, we've noted a couple times, most of these start with, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. So we, we talk about this at the 10 o'clock hour. When he says you've heard it said, a lot of times we're like, oh, this is the Mosaic law that he's, he's comparing it to, but I'm going deeper. So the distinction I just make is, it is the Mosaic law, but it's actually how the Pharisees are interpreting the Mosaic law. You've heard it said. He's not saying it is written. When Jesus says it is written, which he does a number of times, you know that's a direct quote. Here what he's addressing again is this contrast between the scribes and Pharisees and their teaching. So we've got from the time the law was written, it's about 1,500 years. So you'd imagine there's a little bit of interpretation that goes along. So later on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that part. But what I want to do is, I'm gonna, at this point, I am going to go back to Deuteronomy and read the particular portion of the law, Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, that Jesus is referring to, okay? Did we get that one, Thatcher? Do I have it? Okay. This is the law. We talked about it more in the 10 o'clock, then I'll be able to do it now. But here's what it says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, okay, the word's not defined, that's all it says. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs from his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she's been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. What is that about? Holy smokes. So here's where I'm going to go. Big picture helps us see the whole thing. But let me just describe this historically for just a moment. And uh, we'll do this better when we get to Matthew 19 which is Jesus speaking more specifically about this text. But we just made some observations at 10 o'clock. You just watch it, if you just read it. Who has the power, man or woman? It's not that hard. Who has the power, man or woman? It does. I mean, the whole thing. So he's the one, that would be that culture. 
He's writing the certificate of divorce. Basically, what, what she, what's her options? What's her options back in that day? She got nothing. She's starving. Okay? So what's going on here? There's just people are sinning against each other. It actually says, if he does this for some indecency, the word's never used in the, in the Hebrew text ever again. It's not defined. So I'll tell you what, when you get to Moses' day, how they, how they term that. But basically what he's saying, the certificate of the divorce in that case is on the woman's behalf. This guy could just throw her out. Then what? He writes that so she's free to then she goes and gets married. Okay? So what do you want? It says like, if the next guy dies or divorces her because of whatever, he writes her, she can't go back to this guy. What's that about? So basically what he's addressing for some of that is the, the easiness of divorce. Boy, do we have a problem with that. And, and in fact, they've lost this whole idea of the sacredness of marriage. Okay? Now just put a pause on it because there's a whole bunch more questions you should have after I've just said that and that's it. Later on in this sermon, we're going to get to Matthew 19 where Jesus speaks into it. But let's pause right here. I just, I just read... That's the portion of the law that Jesus is referring to where he says, it was also said, I'm back in Matthew 5, 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What's that about? Is Jesus saying this is the right thing to do? This is the good thing to do? What, what's, what's he dealing with? Okay, again, the big picture helps us understand this. Follow this. This is often how this passage is approached. Do not raise your hand. Do not point at someone else. Let me just ask you. Have you ever read this passage? Or have you ever known this passage to be read? And you're going like, hey, when is divorce permissible? Yep, I have. I'll raise my hand. Is that what this passage is about? Is that the main point of it? When is it allowable? What's the minimum standard? Oh, that, that's when divorce is okay. So let me just ask you, is that what Jesus is trying to teach? It isn't. The big picture helps us see the small. Pause. That doesn't mean he doesn't say anything about that. I'm just saying that's not the point of what's going on. And so many times when I've gotten in this passage, that's what people are looking for. That's not what Jesus is trying to teach. Now, I'm going to, get, I'm going to get back to this later on. But what Jesus is doing in all this, he's taking us to the very heart of God, to his own heart. This is what it means to be my people. This is where I want you to be. Okay? Verse 32, he says, notice this, but I say to you, again, I, I think he's addressing this aspect, the certificate of divorce, it's an easy divorce, uh, you'll see this in, in Matthew 19 when the question is asked. What, when, when you do give a certificate of force, what Jesus says, it's interesting. You, man, you are actually forcing her to commit adultery. And he says, and the man who marries her, who takes her in, you're forcing him to do that. In other words, it's, it's this dude doing that who's forcing others to do that. What's Jesus addressing again? So follow this in light of anger, in light of lust. Ah, you think you're fine, you haven't committed adultery, but you're lusting her. And now he comes to this one. I think there's a progression that's intentional on Jesus. Here's the big thing he's, I, I think that he's getting at. 
You, you are viewing everything in your life through your selfish desires and your marriage that way. You're not considering what you're doing to her. Look what you're doing to her. That's why he says it that way. To her and this other person. And it's the antithesis of what he will say in the end of the sermon. Chapter 7, verse 12, we call it the golden rule. Treating others as you want to be treated. Jesus is condemning the practice that they are doing so easy. That's what he's highlighting again the sacredness of marriage. Now, once again, you go back to Jesus, to Moses' day, it's like there's some easy divorce going on. It's like for some indecency. And, I, and it, we talked about this at the 10 o'clock. I think what's going on in this, there is, okay, we all understand this. In the world, people sin against each other all the time. Unfortunately, we do this in our marriages. And it's the people closest to us. That's the people we sin against the most. You know, whether it is a, a, a hard word, my attitude of heart or whatever, when it comes down to the separation of, of marriage, they're doing it pretty easy. And, and he just, all it uses in that in Deuteronomy is indecency. Well, you know what indecency became 1,500 years later in Jesus' day? She burnt my toast. That's the Mishnah. That's the, that's the Pharisaical tradition. You thought it was easy? It's like, it's like a whim going on. That, that's what he is addressing is that. I, I think the way he says, for any reason. So once again, I, I wanna, I'm going to zoop up. <clears throat> What's Jesus getting? He's getting at the heart. He's getting at selfishness in marriage. When there's the, the seriousness of this in, in a separation. So I'd ask again, if we read this passage primarily to understand what is permissible to divorce, I don't think we're aiming at what Jesus is aiming at. I think, again, in the light of the whole, he's showing us the kingdom of heaven must move deeply into us. So when we get to the very end here, friends, pastorally and applicationally, I'm going to address this to singles, those who are married, those who have been married, those who are remarried. I'm just going to, that's what he's getting at in terms of the marital relationship. I need the kingdom of heaven to move all the way through. Um, of these six examples, when he goes through this anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, enemies, this is really the only one where he doesn't say, in a sense, this is what you need to do. You know, a lot of them he'll say something like, he, he doesn't say that here, but I think by implication, he's just saying marriage is sacred. Don't divorce. I, I, think, I think that's a simple thing, okay? All right, now I know I've stirred up a lot of things, because here's what I know is divorce is common. We live in a sinful world. So let me come to this. Go to Matthew 19 for a second. I think we're getting more clarity here. So Matthew 5, it's two verses. That's all it is. So it's a summary. Matthew 19, now Jesus in a sense gets asked the same question and he expounds on it a little bit. So I'm just going to read it and make some observations about it. But you can see this. And which would, here's what you need to notice. Notice the progression where Jesus starts and where he ends. So here's Matthew 19. I'm going to read. Fat, I think you gave, I gave you longer, but I'm probably going to read just through verse 9. Okay? Matthew 19. You got that one? Did I give it to you? Hope I did. All right. So when Jesus finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee, entered the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan. Large crowds followed him. He healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him. 
That's their purpose. They want to trap him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Again, you get the burnt toast. You get this. That's, that's what's going on. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching this way. Now they're trying to trap him. Why are they trying to trap him? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Why do they trap him with this question? Now, you know, this is pretty complex. They think we're going to get Jesus here. He's going to say something that's inconsistent. We're going to get him. Notice his response. He answered, have you not read, now he's referring to scripture, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They weren't satisfied. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of the hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Thad, can you go back up to verse three? I just want to talk through it. Uh, go to the next one then. Yeah, that's the question. So it's probably the next, next slide. So notice how he begins the answer. Have you not read? What's he quoting? What's he quoting? Louder? He's, right, he's going right back to Genesis. First book. He's going back to the creation account. Notice Jesus' response. They're talking about divorce. He goes back to the beginning. He just says, hey, here's how God, here's how God designed it. Male, female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father, his, his family, hold fast to his wife. This is bad math. The two shall become one. Where in the world does one plus one equal one? Bad math. What's he saying? He's talking about this mystery of marriage, the sacredness here. This is, he's, he's going back. This is God's intention. These two become one. They're not living side by side, two people in the same household, two distinct people. Yes, they're two distinct people. Uh, unique gifts, um, unique personality, unique temptations, but they are to live as one. And when he says this, yes, it's sexual union. It is not only that. It's a course of life. These two are one. So you know where we're going applicationally. If you're married, is that how you think about your spouse? We're moving in oneness. We'll talk about that in the end. And he says, actually, then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. That is, that is a profound statement, which has a lot of implications also. Not two, but one. Meaning, I'm not making a decision on my own. This decision affects my wife. We're making it together. I've told you about arguments Cindy and I have had, and it's the reason why we have two more kids. I lost the argument. No, we... we paused it. We disagreed. She did not allow me to get, have surgery so we could stop it for. She quoted Bible verses at me the only time in her life. I said, all right, I'll wait. We prayed about it. And nine years later, God changed my heart and mind or eight years or anyway. And we have two more and I'm so glad. But that, I'm just giving an example of we disagreed on something. I'm going to say most of your disagreements, the decision does not need to be made now, by the way. You actually can pause and pray about it. And it's just interesting when you pause and pray. It's interesting how God speaks louder in ways you don't want. But he will, and it's good. I just suggest it's good practice for all the two become one. That was a tangent. 
So no, but he said, they're not two. They're not silos. People live married all the time as silos. Not one. Keep going. Next, next, next slide. Verse seven. Okay. <laughs> this is interesting. This phrase is Jesus' addition to Genesis. This is not in the Genesis text. Everything else, he says, what therefore, who? What therefore, who? God joined together. I'm sorry, man and wife. Man and wife. I'm, I'm pronouncing. No, no. What God joined together, let no one separate. Justin has quoted my quote back to me different times. A long time ago when I used to do young people and stuff, they'd go like, yeah, how do I know who's the right one? I want to make sure I marry the right one. What if I marry the wrong one? I want to know who's the right one. I'd say to them, when you get married, that's when you know it's the right one. It just is. And truth is, you'll never know enough about a person before marriage. And when you get married, you find out things you never knew. That doesn't change the equation. That's what, what God has joined together, let no one, and it, it, it's been lost in our marriage vows outside. It's just not even, it doesn't even exist. In American culture, one day, even outside the church, it was, it was once said this way. But that's how he's, this is Jesus responding to this. I'm sorry, they asked him about divorce. This is where he's going. That's what he says. He, he's done. They weren't satisfied. How come, Jesus, come on. You know Moses did this. Why did Moses command a certificate of divorce that you could send her away? Notice the response. He says, it's because of the hardness of your heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was, keep going, it was not so. And then, he, and then he gives what we'd call the exception. Then I would say for you, whoever divorces wife except for sexual money, marries in the control room. Okay. So <clears throat> Jesus goes back to the beginning. And I'll just say, so I'm going to get to this when we come to application. And if you're feeling guilt right now, put it on pause, put it on pause, because the gospel speaks into this, all right? We get, we get stuff where we've messed up all over the place, all right? But again, it's really, why... Why does Moses say this okay when it wasn't God's intention? He does that. And I'll just say this in summary. When you go back to Moses' day and here's this woman, the guy's got the power. He writes a thing. She's out there. What goes, what goes on? That certificate was actually protection for her. She's stuck. She's got nothing. It's a way to bring order out of chaos. It's not the way God intended it. But here's, she's free. Certificate of divorce. So she gets married to this other, other one. So I, <clears throat> I don't know how God works through sin, but let me just say this. There is no one in this room unaffected by our own sins or the sins of others against us. There's no one. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. And we're going to end there. But you've got to know that before we get there. And this should cause lots of questions. You read this like, I still don't get this. He's saying this is what God wants. But there's this over here. Yep, all life, right? So here, when we get to the end of this, and anything that Jesus is teaching where we should become amazed is like the grace of God on us, our own shortcomings, but it should make us be people just go like, I don't understand you, God, but you're full of grace, and I want to follow you. It should make us want to be greater followers, understanding our shortcomings, and he loves us as adopted children. He's chosen to do that. Not because we're great, because he's great. It should make us the best forgivers in the world. That's why we can love enemies. 
We watch what Jesus, but it doesn't happen unless he takes the territory in our heart. It doesn't happen just out of, I want to obey him. No, I should say this. I want to want to obey him. It's probably more true. But it's what he'll do if we let him. But letting him is confessing our need and where we're not this way. It's being honest about what I really think. He is let, not letting us off the hook. He keeps going deep and deep and deep. We should let the Holy Spirit do that to us. Otherwise, you know what we will be? We will be nothing but Pharisees, nothing but caring about the outside of the cup. And can I just say to you, that's simply bondage. It's not freedom in Christ. It's not true. It's hypocrisy. I don't think any of us don't struggle with that. Jesus is good in what he's saying. All right, where am I? Well, I would just say out of Matthew 19, it's very clear. This is about the sacredness of marriage. And let, I don't need to go down illustrations. We just know that is not our society. Our society is trash this. So let me be really quick just to think through this. To the married, let me say this. How do you see your marriage? Do you want oneness with your spouse? You know, some days. <laughs> let me be honest. And turn. So I mean, Cindy and I talk about this all the time. I want to aim towards oneness. And so here's, here's a silly little way I say about it. Hey, what's going on in your day? I want to, if I'm not in the same geographic space as her, I want to be thinking towards her, praying towards her. Because you know what? I'm pretty much, I'm pretty convinced of this. In this room, I am the most self-centered person in this room. I so naturally think about my deal and what, what she needs to do for me or what, I mean, that's how I think. Jesus, take that territory. So I want, to, I want to think towards oneness. Do you want oneness with your spouse? Is this in the forefront of your mind, your desires, your aim? Is this where you are asking the Holy Spirit to change you? Or have you become very comfortable living as two distinct people who on paper are married, but actually we act and live a lot separate? You know how that can be. There's a lot of other ways to think about it but I'd say this way. Just ask the Lord's help. He knows what's really going on. Okay, so that's one way for us to think about if you're married. If you're single, I'd say this way. So how do you view marriage? So married or single, <clears throat> even though we don't know the right answer to this question, the song we actually sing to ourselves is, it's all about me. We sing that all the time. I mean, at night, it's all about, I mean, it's, it's we think too much self-centered. It's our natural wiring. It's just part of what Adam gave us. You know, we, we, that's how we are. But if you're single and you think about marriage, it isn't about you. And you, get, you, you, think, you have to think rightly about marriage. So I got, I just married, uh, September married one of my older son's college friends. I think he's like 37. Took him forever to find the perfect girl. Well, you, know, you are an idiot. You're taking so long. You know, I mean, it's like, he, there's, there's different people. Like, she's amazing. He finally, the Lord brought him, Christina, who's just, unbelievable for him, but he's always like, you're looking for the right one. I don't want to make this mistake. You know, and you go outside the church, everybody, you know what you got to do? You don't get married. You live together for a while because I got to test this out. I got to like see if this works. I got to like, it's just, we, 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 the whole thing's convoluted. I used to have someone say like, why would you do that? You do not go to the pharmacy and test out the toothbrushes. It just, that's not what you do. You know, it's like, <laughs> but in God's design, you walk into this by faith. There's lots of things you won't understand. 
and you walk into it, but when it's all about me, I'm scared to death. I got to test this out because you know what I want to want? I want to know if you're good enough for me or you will give me what I want, what I need. Can I just tell you that won't ever happen? If I am looking to, to Cindy to fulfill my needs, I got it all wrong. If she's looking at me that way, it won't happen. And that's how people view Mary. It's not the way God has designed it. Follow the example of Jesus because that's the example we are all called to when married. This is convoluted. You say this outside the church, people think you're just crazy. We are, okay, we are, right? It's, it's a part of giving up yourself for the other person. That's what Jesus did, right? He left, he left heaven. He's the best missionary. He left heaven. Nothing he needed. He did it and took on human skin, human, human limitation, went through babyhood, childhood, experiencing every temptation of us. Why? For us, becoming human, humbling himself like that, and to die for us in a despicable death on the cross where everybody said he's cursed by God. He did that for us. And I can't do that in my marriage. Ephesians calls us to love our wise men like Christ loved the church. This is how we do this with one another. That's the model and the call in marriage. Oh, that is that drudgery? No, no. Do you know, this is the part in giving's receiving. Again, if God, if we, I don't go like, take this territory in me, Lord, because I am self-centered. You do this in me. And when that happens, it's a joy to do this for your spouse. It's, it's amazing how when that happens, this one does this also. It's the two becoming one. It's not the two holding on to their rights. It's a two because of Jesus giving to one another in a way that's self-sacrificial love. And can I say it's deeper than anything? That's a two becoming one. That's it. So it may not be your marital experience, whatever, but I'm saying this to singles ahead of time. Think about it that way. And when you walk into think that way and you'll be thinking more the way Jesus wants it. Now let me say this also. If you feel like you've blown it badly because you've been married or remarried or, I mean, whatever spot you are in that, have I done so much and you're feeling guilty? I just want to say, is that the message Jesus is trying to give you today? Who gives guilt? Where is that from? Think big picture. This passage is about God's heart and his kingdom. It starts from inside. It's not outside. We all need change. What is God's heart for you in the gospel? So we could go to other places, but I'm going to just remind us that when Jesus died on the cross, you know this phrase, how many of your sins were in the future? The word all would be appropriate. All of them. All of them. He knows them all. Uh, Seriously. He knows them all. He knows next year's. He's not looking at you any different. Colossians 2, when he died here, what they put on the cross is the list of accusations. And the way it's written, the way Paul writes to the Colossians, the Colossians church is, your record of debts, it was canceled, it was obliterated at the cross. When he says, I have forgiven all your sin, he actually means the word all. Not the stuff that surprises you. It is This is so hard for us to grasp and understand this. This is not to make us excuse sin. Oh, if he forgave him, then I could go do this. If you think that, there is no change in the heart. That is not what this is. No, when you get that, you go like, I want to follow you. (laughs) Who does this? That's what actually makes worshipers. 
when we feel like how much we've forgiven. Now, here's the tell in the text. The genealogy. It's chapter 1. You know who's in the genealogy. It's our first sermon in this. He goes, the whole thing, the purpose of the genealogy, Matthew wants us to see that this Jesus is the one promised. He's in the line of the son of David, as was prophesied. And you remember who Jesus came through. David, and who was the woman? Bathsheba. That makes no sense. Actually, in that genealogy, he doesn't even use the word Bathsheba. It says, Uriah's wife. It's acknowledging there was adultery there. How would you and I do this? David screwed up multiple ways, by the way, besides killing, make, arranging for the death of Uriah. But here's David. As king, he had more wives than one. God's design? Absolutely not. Is that what kings did in that day? Yeah, that's not what, why you should do that. You do it for political alliances, okay? All that to say is, let's say he's got five. I think he had more. Bathsheba, adultery. Okay, God promised Messiah's coming through David. He's got four other options. Why does Jesus come through the union of David and Bathsheba later? Why? When you figure that one out, you tell me. But I'll tell you one thing it says, and it's undeniable. God's grace is greater than all our sin. It just is. So if you're feeling guilt and condemnation, I want you to remember that, because that is absolutely true. This sermon is about God's heart. And if you're feeling guilt and condemnation, you will not find that anywhere in the New Testament. Okay? Now, let me, I, I should say this. I mean, if you're currently in a situation, you go like, I know the situation's sinful and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. Well, listen to him. Listen to him. But if you got in a situation where I feel like I screwed up my life already, I, I did this, I'm, I'm right here. No, stay there and honor God where you are right now. I would say that's consistent with 1 Corinthians 7 when it addresses this. But condemnation is not the message of him. And I want you to go back to to Matthew. So, oh, I guess I didn't, I jumped around, didn't I? Sorry about that. Go ahead, so go ahead and put the one up. God's mercy is greater than all of our sins and failings. I, I think that's part of the lesson. And you, you got to believe that. You have, you must believe that. You must pursue the gospel of grace now. This is, this is not an excuse for sin. And if you think it that way, you're in more danger than you know. When we see this, and we experience it, it should make us incredible proclaimers of the good news of the gospel in Christ. Because we all need this. It should make us love him more and want to follow him with greater abandon than ever. Um, I am doing very little with, I'm going to get to truth telling. Wow, I got a long, okay, what am I going to do here? Let me say this. I'll just, um, so I recognize here and online that there are a number of past, the number of situations that are pretty complicated. If you have questions about yours, I would just simply say, seek out a pastor. You want wisdom for that. There's a lot of things that are, I have not been able to say here, okay? But let me just leave it that way and let's pursue that with pastors or elders because we love you, and, but here's the deal. We all want Jesus to take this territory, right? That's what we want. All right, I'll be quicker on, on, on truth-telling. I don't think it's as complicated, <laughs> you know? Tell the truth. How come we... Uh, so I won't read it again. Oh, yeah, yeah I will. <clears throat> again, you've heard it, that it was said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. I say to you, but I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, 
or by Jerusalem for the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black. Here's a summary. Here's the point. Yvette nailed this today. Um, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. What's the point? Simply, let your word be true in all things. Let your word be a true speaker. Sometimes people say, oh, is this forbidding taking an oath in court? No. Uh, how about marriage vows? Maybe was that that? No, no. Take it in light of the whole thing. Now, I won't, I won't go through all these texts. I'll say them. If you want my notes, you can get them specifically. But in Moses' day, Deuteronomy 10.20 actually allows swearing by the Lord's name in this way, saying it's an acknowledgement. God owns everything. He actually says it there. It's okay. In 1,500 years later, in the Pharisees' day, you can look this in your Bible, Matthew 23, same book, verses 16 to 22, Jesus is addressing this again to the Pharisees, and they were saying things like this, if you swear by the temple, it's not binding, but if you swear by the gold in the temple, it's binding. What in the world is that? That's what Jesus is addressing. They actually had some places where you could make an oath and it was binding and some places where it isn't. It's never been God's heart. Never. Truth-telling. Let your word be true. So I'll just say this anecdotally. Um, it was this particular passage and uh, James 5.12, which says, Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let, let me, that, that's what led me, when I'm, a, when I'm a parent, my kids go, Dad, would you prom- Dad, promise me you'll, whatever the thing was. I go, no, I'm not going to promise you. But I want you to know this. If I, if I say it to you, I intend to do it. I'm going to come through. I just never did. They would say, that. is that a small thing? I don't know. I, I want to teach them, my word is my word. So I think that's the applicational question. Is that true for us, for you and me? I've shared this before. Is exaggerating, embellishing a story a little bit, is that letting my yes be yes, my no be no? I don't think so. It's not truth telling. So I remember a time, well, I, I would not exaggerate stories. It's my late teenage years, I remember the Lord convicting me of it can't remember now because I'm too old how the conviction came. I just remember it. I also remember, I don't remember who I was talking to. I was in the middle of telling a story. First of all, God had convicted me. That's where it starts. Conviction is an agreement with God that it's wrong. The next part's repentance. Lord changes in me. I need it changed. So as I asked me, I remember I'm I'm with a friend. I'm in the middle of a story. I'm like, and and like the Holy Spirit goes, you are telling more than it's true. This is like, he already convicted me. Now I got a choice. But I feel like God had granted repentance. I just go like, hang on. You know what? That is not exactly how it happened. I don't even know why I said that. And I, it was embarrassing. But then I told it straight as it was. I don't remember the details. I remember who it was. But here's what I remember. It broke it. It broke it. It's not that I never struggled with that again. But that was like, 
and the power that it had on me was diminished. I remember telling that story to one of my kids who had the same problem. At a particular time when I'm confronting them about it, saying, you get just about truth-telling, and the Lord did the same for that child. Here's what I want you to hear. God's for you. Jesus wants his kingdom spreading through his people. Is that to every nation? Yep. But it is first and foremost right within his children. He wants to do that in us. So whatever region that is for you, you just simply ask him, because you know what? He knows you and me better than we know ourselves. He's a good God. He loves doing this. And this is when we become light and salt. That's when it happens out there. And we'll be interacting with people. They don't share our worldview. That's okay. Thank God put us right there for him, for his glory. Let's follow this promised king into his kingdom with all our hearts, shall we? Let's pray. Jesus, I do thank you for your word. I thank you that there is nothing that restricts your work in our lives. I thank you for all that are here and those who listen on the internet. And for whatever reason, God, we'll tell you, this is what you wanted us to hear today. I pray that you'd give us the grace to respond to it well. You and you alone know us. So let it be for the glory of Jesus and our joy, we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.